Hello and welcome to Mavs Explained, where every single day of the week we're taking you behind the scenes to talk Mavs news, history, uh, whatever popular trend is going on, Luca's new sneakers. We hit it all on this show every single day of the week. My name is Bobby Corella. I'm from Mavs Digital, and today we're kicking it back. We're taking, we're, we're turning the clock all the way back to 1998. <laughs> and if we're talking about Mavs history, you know who I'm going to be joined by. He's uh, forgotten Mavs on Twitter and on Instagram, but in real life, he goes by Mike Frailer. What's up, Mike? Hey, Bobby. Um, not much. I'm excited to talk about this topic today. It should be, should be a fun one. Yeah, it is going to be very fun. So uh, the, the date is March 12th, 1998, and the Dallas Mavericks, who at the time were 13-49, and 49, were about to play a regular season game. And uh, you're probably sitting at home thinking, why on earth do I care about the 13 and 39 Mavs playing game 63 of the season on like a random Tuesday night in March? Well, it was very significant. And also it was a Thursday, not a Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, It was significant because of their opponent. You had the two-time defending champion Chicago Bulls in the house, led, of course, by Michael Jordan, his airness, bringing the last dance to Dallas. This was his last regular season game, what was at the time thought to be his last regular season game uh, ever in Dallas as a member of the Bulls, of course. And uh, the buzz was real, man. And and some crazy, crazy, crazy things happened in that game. It's not just that it was Jordan's last game. It was the way that the game unfolded that makes it uh, really kind of a, a milestone moment in Mavs history. So the game began kind of like you would expect, a game between the 45-17 and 17 Bulls and 13-49 and 49 Mavs uh, to go. Chicago was up 85-68 to 68 with five and a half minutes left in the game after uh, MJ scored a bucket. And you're thinking, oh my God, this is over. It's so over. Chicago's up 17 points with five and a half to go. I mean, this was kind of the, this was the low moment Mavs. This was pre-Dirk uh, Mavericks basketball. So when the Bulls go up 17, you're thinking, this is over. But Mike, uh, the Mavs kind of put on a comeback for the ages. They definitely did. Um, This was so much fun to watch. Um, Unfortunately, I wasn't there, but I was able to watch it on TV. And, you know, it was probably the most memorable, I mean, for me, the most memorable Mavs game pre-Dirk that that I can remember being able to watch. the comeback was like, it's almost like every time the Bulls had a chance to put the nail in the coffin, something fell in the Mavs' favor. And what it ended up being was a lot of missed free throws. Um, Jordan missed several down the stretch. Uh, Steve Kerr missed a couple, which, um, you know, I remember watching the game and I remember that happening, but I only remember it being one missed free throw. It actually ended up was both. That was crazy. Um, the, uh, I think the decision of um, of Don Nelson to put in Chris Anstey was huge. You know, he made some big buckets, but it was just everything that could have gone wrong for the Bulls went wrong, and then the Mavs just took advantage of it. They kept attacking. Sabalos was great at attacking the basket. Finley was huge. AC Green was grabbing big rebounds. It, it was really exciting. And then the, the final minute, which I think the Mavs were still down by by 10 or 8 with less than a minute left, was was pretty crazy. Yeah, so it's 85 to 68 Chicago with uh like I said with 543 to go. MJ actually made a three, which in those days was uh was very rare. So in that entire game, 
Chicago was seven of twenty-five. They actually took a, a crap ton of threes for the uh, by the Bulls standard. Twenty-five threes. Uh, the Mavs were two for seven. Uh, so <laughs> not not really a most modern game. And whenever you're not shooting threes, a seventeen point lead with five minutes left is like almost insurmountable. But uh, like you said, the Mavs just made a couple plays. They started chipping away. Uh, Khalid Reeves converted an and one, and then he uh, made a dunk. Uh, Michael Finley hit a technical free throw. AC Green made a couple free throws. Uh, and then things started getting really, really weird. So as you said, MJ missed a couple free throws down the stretch. The Mavs brought the score to within 89 to 80. And uh, Cedric Sabalos fouled MJ. And he goes to the free throw line and he makes the first one, but he misses the second one. And Dallas is able to uh, bring it to uh, 90 to 82. And then Scottie Pippen turned it over, and then said Sabalas made a layup. So then it was 90 to 84. And then this was the key moment of the game. There's 23 seconds left in regulation, and the Bulls lead 90 to 84. And Michael Finley fouls Steve Kerr intentionally. Now, Steve Kerr, at the time, was a 92% free throw shooter in 1998. I mean, this is one of the, the best shooters of all time, both from beyond the arc and from the free throw line. A career 86% shooter. And Kerr goes 0 for 2 at the line. Dallas gets the rebound, takes it down the floor. It's, uh, Sabalas dunks it. And uh, then Jordan gets fouled with 15 seconds left, and he goes 1 for 2. And and so you all of these, like, the odds of all of these events happening are astronomical, but it really goes to show you, like, just how wrong things had to go in order for the Mavs to even have a chance uh, to get back into this game. But really, the, the, the two most pivotal moments, Hubert Davis hit a, a two-point shot to make it 91-88 to 88 with 10 seconds left in the game, and that is when things got very strange. So please take me through what happened on that ensuing inbounds pass after Hubert Davis made that two-point jump shot. Yes, so his... His his basket um, brought the Mavs to within three. Scottie Pippen's inbounding the ball. And you can see the ref signaling, you know, each second. And, that, like, eventually he he got to five and called a, a five-second inbound violation on the Bulls. And, actually, I watched that today, and I think this just speaks to, like, the level of maybe, like uh, – NBA nerddom slash boredom that we're in. Like I actually timed it to see if it was a five second <laughs> violation. I, I had my phone and I was like, was this five seconds? Cause it seemed a little quick. I was getting around four, 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 six. So I, I don't know, but close enough. So five second violation, Phil Jackson's on the bench staring in disbelief that I think that they made that call or maybe that, you know, Pippen waited that long. Cause I think they attempted to call a timeout if I'm not mistaken. Um, yes, they they yeah, tried. They tried. So, anyway, and this is so the Mavs get the ball back right under their basket um, uh, to, with a chance to tie the game. And so they, I forget who was in. Oh, was this? Yeah, I think Sabalos was inbounding the ball. The guy who. Yeah, Sabalos so, was the trigger yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, Sabalos inbounds the ball to. AC Green. AC Green. Okay, yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah, I, I'm I watching. Remember I'm watching. So they. This game was so insane that they actually turned it into a movie, by the way. Um, <laughs> the Mavs made a, a literally a video called Unforgettable. Yes, I watched it today. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and where where Don Nelson is like basically taking you through the game footage 
Yeah, uh, it's on YouTube. I mean, it's on the Mavs YouTube channel. So if you Google "unforgettable," but the the bull and "unforgettable" is spelled like Chicago Bull, um, you'll find it. And it, it's it's actually really really good. I mean, it's it's a very well made video. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm watching the play as you're describing it on the video. Right. So Savalos inbo- inbounds the ball to Green on the wing. And it really looked like the Mavs couldn't get anything going. And so Green passes it back to Sabalos, and he's, like, right next to him. So it's definitely not even a pass, more of, like, a handoff. And now there's less than five seconds left, and Sabalos is covered um, on the wing and just throws up a prayer. There's no chance he could even have a good look at the basket just based when you watch it. And he throws it, throws it up, and the ball goes in with uh, three seconds left, three or four seconds left. And tie game, the Mavs just tied it. And so now the Bulls get to call their timeout and they actually run. And then, so they get to inbound the ball to half court with a chance to win the game. They run a very simple play that worked extremely well. Tony Kukoc got a great look, maybe about a six or seven foot runner floater, whatever you want to call it. I remember him missing it. I don't remember. I didn't remember how, like how close it was to going in. It's like three quarters of the way down. Um, oh, yeah. It like completely just like spins around and rims out. And he's in disbelief. I think the Bulls were in disbelief. And I mean, the Mavs got, I mean, just speaks to how like kind of lucky the Mavs got because like there was no one near him. He got like a great look and it just didn't go down, which worked in the Mavs' favor. So that was a, a crazy finish. Kind of like every break that could have happened, the Mavs got. Um, and so that was a, a really fun and exciting way to finish regulation yeah and uh, then it goes into overtime and I remember overtime being a little more like lopsided just going back and watching this video but it was actually pretty close but the, the Mavs were able to pull away and they earned a 104 to 97 win but not before things got a little chippy uh, between Chris Anstey and the Bulls so uh, I know Chris Anstey was a guest on your show yes uh, on Mavs archives uh, this is back whenever it was Forgotten Mavericks, but uh, yeah. it's it's available on Mavs Archives. You can go to iTunes, Spotify, anywhere uh, where you listen to your podcast. So uh, I'm curious to hear uh, maybe some some highlights. If, if you haven't heard the episode, uh, some of the things that, that Chris told you about this game, because this was, I mean, you know, this was one of the most important games that he played in with the Mavs. Oh, yeah. This was like, uh, you know, the most memorable um game that I think he had probably in his NBA career, which only lasted three seasons. His, funnily enough, you know, his first two seasons were at the Mavs. His third one was with the Bulls. But, um, so yeah, I, I recorded an episode with Anstey and, you know, I very much had this game on my list I want to talk to him about. And I think he just loves telling this story. You know, he talked about how it was like the Beatles were in town he had friends and family fly to Dallas from Australia specifically for this game. Um, he was, you know, going into this game, he was in a, having a pretty decent stretch of, uh, you know, of playing well, getting a lot of minutes. He was an important member of the rotation and he was, you know, excited to play against Jordan and Pippen in front of his friends and family. And he didn't play at all in the first half. And so he was, he talks about, I remember him telling me he was, you know, just crushed in the locker room, wasn't sure if he was going to get to play, but eventually um, Nelly decided to put him in. And, you know, he, he had a big impact, but I, I think what most people remember, aside from the big baskets he had in overtime, was this little uh, confrontation with Rodman. And so um, 
under the Bulls, I forget who took the shot, but one of the Bulls missed a shot and Rodman and Ansi ended up fighting for the ball and Rodman was kind of grabbing them and, you know, shoving them a little bit, just kind of being rough under the basket. And they, they kind of got in each other's face and Ansi swung an elbow, but not, not to like, I don't think it was like to hit him, but just to kind of let him know, like, Hey, like, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to mess with me like that. So they would, and they laughed at each other and their foreheads were kind of touching. So um, it, it was pretty cool seeing, a, you know, Anstey was 23 at the time, sticking up to uh, to uh, Rodman and laughing in his face and, you know, just having that moment over such a, a legendary player and a legendary team was was a big moment for him. And I, I remember when I recorded my episode with him, I asked him if he remembered what uh, he and Rodman said to each other. And he, he said he doesn't remember it, but it just it was pretty intense. And uh, that, that was his his big moment as a Mav. Nelly had some good fun with that moment too. Yes, he did. Yeah, video. So, something about you know Australia come had come down and have some food with me, <laughs> yeah. drink a beer. Uh, the the box score from that game is insane. So this is late '90s basketball. Uh, load management and minutes load, all of that stuff was like a myth. You know, it, this was before it was uh, before it was even thought up. So that game, remember this game went into overtime. That night, the Mavs played eight players, uh, but Sean Bradley, the eighth player, only played 11 minutes. And so really, they played a seven-man rotation, uh, <laughs> including A.C. Green, who at the time was 34 years old. He was the NBA's Ironman. I don't know if he had achieved that feat quite yet. That might have been the next season that he did that, but he never missed a game. Like, since 1987, he played every single game of his career. And he played 41 minutes in that game. Uh, Michael Finley played 50 minutes, <laughs> and then if you go if you go up to the Bulls, uh, Jordan played 47. Scottie Pippen played 39. Now they were without Luke Longley in that game, and so uh, they started both Kukoc and Rodman, which is not something that the Bulls ever did uh, that season. It was always usually one you know one or the other whenever mm -hmm. MJ and Pippen were both in the game. Uh, so they started Jordan, Pippen, Kukoc, Dennis Rodman, and Ron Harper. So you know their bench was pretty thin. Steve Kerr played 35 minutes off the bench. No other Bulls player played more than 15. Their their two other biggest contributors that night were Scott Burrell and Judd Bushler. So um, it was a pretty like it was a pretty thin lineup. But the quintessential Dennis Rodman game: three points, 22 rebounds, <laughs> <laughs> and four fouls. He took five shots in that game. He was one for five from the field, uh, <laughs> and had a. a neutral plus minus uh mj was minus 11 scotty was minus 12 dennis was even and he he took five shots that's uh that is very very 90s i would say um you know yeah i'm looking at the box score now too that was just some of the names on it are uh just bring back so many memories but yeah it was uh such a special game to watch one thing about it is i didn't have cable growing up so anytime the mavs were on just like regular local tv i was so pumped to to watch it and this game was and so i you know i just i remember watching the game and being being so excited that they won and when the sabalos three went in that was just such a special time um one other thing about the box score so that um sabalos three that he made was actually the mavs first three-pointer of the game um, the entire game. Yeah. So their first three pointer came with about three and a half, four seconds left. They made one other three that Finley made in overtime. So it's really interesting. And I don't, I don't think this would ever happen in today's NBA where 
a team very much on the outside of the playoffs, lottery bound, would defeat the defending champions and only make two three-pointers in the game. And that just wouldn't happen. And now someone might be saying, well, you know, the Bulls missed all these free throws. Now, they did shoot 14 of 26 on free throws in the game, but the Mavs were 12 for 23. So it's not like really (laughs) either team is making up a lot of points of the charity stripe. I mean, this was just a – and the Mavs committed more turnovers. They committed 17 turnovers. Uh, The Bulls committed 11. So, I mean, everything was working in the Bulls' favor, but somehow just the Mavs were able to win the game. Um, I, I remember I was only – I was about to turn seven years old at the time, so I was very young, but uh, we had tickets to that game. Me and my dad and my sister were there. Uh, my mom was working um, at the arena, so we were at the game, and I vividly remember waking up that morning uh, and, and my parents asking me, like, are you excited to go to the game tonight? And I was not excited. <laughs> I was not excited to get to see Michael Jordan because I thought the Mavs were going to just get pulverized. Yeah. And that was enough for me. You know, it was funny watching the last dance. Um, these kids saying, like, their parents asked them, do you want a Christmas gift or do you want Bulls tickets? And they chose Bulls tickets. But And then you have six-year-old Bobby who's like, no, I don't want to go see Michael <laughs> Jordan because he's going to beat Khalid Reeves and the Mavs, you know. But I was just – I was a true blue MFFL way back then. But – uh, so we, we go to the game and the Bulls, I mean, they're just stomping on the Mavs very early on. I mean, they were up like 15, 20 points in the third quarter and really throughout most of the fourth quarter too. And I was thinking this kind of sucks. In fact, I think I even asked uh, my dad if we could leave, you know, cause I, I was just, you know, I, I was not into the game. And then of course it ended up being this insane comeback, uh, so much so that I didn't even see the Cedric Sabala shot go in because he was buried in the corner and, uh, you know, all the adults were standing up around me. So I got up on my seat to try and see the play. But, uh, you know, the people in front of me were too tall. So all I saw was the ball go in. I didn't see who shot it or where he shot it from or how, it, you know, how it happened or anything. I just knew that the Mavs hit a three to tie the game <laughs> and uh, the place went nuts. But it was, man, that's the only time I remember seeing Jordan with the Bulls. I'm not sure that I ever did before that. I mean, I would have no way to remember. But I remember mm-hmm. that game vividly because it was the last one. And, it, you know, it felt special. But my my lasting memory from that game will just be all of the camera flashes. I mean, it was like it, – it was. I've never been in a place with that many cameras going off all at once. I mean, it was it was totally, totally crazy just how much buzz there was um, around this thing and, and how, I mean, it, it was, and, and this was, you know, again, the Mavs were 13 and 49. So it's not like they were putting Luca and Dirk out there every night. Like fans did not really go to the games in those days. And so just the fact that reunion arena was full was enough to make it feel special. But then you have people taking pictures and the building is full early and like the, the crowd is going nuts for both the Mavs and the Bulls this it was a totally new experience for me it was really like maybe the first true basketball game that I went to that was more than just kind of like you know a, a lottery team taking on some other team that didn't really want to be there oh I can imagine um, I mean at the time you know, the Mavs weren't very good. That was around the time when I started going to my first Mavs games. That Earlier that season, I went to my first Mavs game ever just because I wanted to go to one. Um, but it wasn't like – I mean, they weren't a good team. I think that they played the Wizards the first time I went. So – but, yeah, it, I mean, that must have been an incredible experience to be there in that in that uh, arena. And, um, 
in reunion with with Jordan's last game. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine. And it's been so much fun to watch the last dance because, yeah, I was like 11 at the t- when all the, when his last season when uh, with the Bulls. But, you know, I couldn't appreciate it. One, because I was 11. And two, because, I mean, I didn't have cable. So anytime Jordan was on TV, I only got to see it if it was on NBA on NBC. Um, so, you know, I saw him play, what, like 10 times a year before the playoffs. And so, you know, I, you know, I don't remember that much of it. So it, it, it is really cool being able to relive it and to know that the last time he ever came to Dallas, you know, he, he, the Bulls lost and is uh, probably the biggest win of the nineties for the Mavs. You know, they didn't have a lot of wins in the nineties, but this was definitely a special one. And I wonder too, you know, looking back on it now, like were the Bulls the the Bulls players probably weren't really mad that they lost the game because obviously I mean they knew that they were probably going to win the championship but like I the fans must have been like pissed off you know that they're at the time they hadn't really locked up the top seed or anything so I mean like that's one of the games where it was so memorable that the Mavericks literally turned it into a movie. I mean, that had to just really, <laughs> really grind everybody's gears that they lost that game. But uh, it became, I mean, it became the highlight of the season. Like you said, man, it was pr- it was genuinely probably their biggest win of the entire decade, uh, if not even stretching a little further, you know, into the next millennium. I mean, they were oh, just, yeah. it, it was not something that they, they didn't win games, period for most of the 90s they certainly did not win games against the bulls they definitely did not and it's funny that you mentioned that because i pulled up on basketball reference every time that jordan played the mavs so leading up to that march 98 game and this this is only games that jordan played in doesn't count the baseball season anything like that the the bulls had beaten the mavs 14 straight times Oh it, it had been over 10 years since Jordan had lost to the Mavs. So between December of 87 and March of 98, he didn't lose to the Mavs at all. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, the Mavs did have some success against him in, in the 80s, um, winning three in a row in one point. But, uh, you know, it was just uh, – but the Mavs were good in the late 80s. So, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, and, you know, I was doing some, some research for – this conversation. And uh, I found a quote that I thought was pretty applicable to, to this topic. Um, you know, they asked him, what are your memories of going to be of, of Dallas? And he said, well, I can't say this place is exactly a Mecca of basketball. And, you know, I just kind of, it's a shot at the Mavs, but it's, uh, it's not wrong based on that decade in which he, like I said, just destroyed them for 14 games and 14 times in a row and but he did say he uh what i will remember about coming here is dale Han- dale hansen's countdown of days until my appearance i kind of liked that that's what he said <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah. wow so, i mean that's yeah for a team that went you know 20 wins in a season was pretty good for that whole decade there wasn't really a lot else to look forward to you know mj was the attraction Absolutely. Yeah, he was. And uh, that's that's why it's so neat being able to to just relive this, you know, moment in time or the stretch of time, you know, for the last few Sundays and for the next couple. It's been it's been so much fun. And 
I was hoping, I think a lot of Mavs fans were hoping that there would be some sort of mention this in the documentary, but you did see, you know, a two second clip of Anstey swinging an elbow at Rodman um, either this, I think in the second weekend of the shows last weekend. So that was pretty cool that, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that, that was in there. So, and it was a, a new angle of that. I, I'd never seen before that baseline shot. So that, that was pretty cool. It did just kind of make me mad, though, that the the filmmakers are just, they're too scared to put that <laughs> game in. I mean, like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it probably doesn't matter. But I guess it too, it kind of depends on like, you know, if that was like the third game in, in a row that the Bulls lost or something, then maybe it would be, you know, na- in in terms of narrative, just like kind of portrayed as this turning point in the season. But again, just some random Thursday night in March is probably like, yeah, just forget about it. It doesn't yeah. really matter. <laughs> you know? I, I like to think, or some things I've been reading saying, says Michael Jordan had like the final say. So maybe it was in there, but he didn't want it in there. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. He's like, no, yeah. no, no. It's too shameful. It's yes. too embarrassing. <laughs> yes. yes. Can't, can't remember that. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of, uh, what, are, what are some, again, I'm, I'm kind of too young. I mean, I remember seeing Jordan whenever he was with the Wizards, actually. I remember going to his last game. That was in 2002 or yeah, the I, that's the only time season. I ever saw him play. He came to the American. Oh, so you were at that Center. game? I went. Yeah, the, the his final season, 0203, uh, December of 02, the Wizards came here. I went to that game. Yeah, yeah, I I, I did too, and the, the standing ovation was awesome. I mean, I was old enough at the time to know that Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan, but I was still young enough to be confused. Like I thought he already retired. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was it was surreal. I mean, another example of like the building being totally packed, and I mean, cameras going off everywhere. I mean, it, it had to be it had to be a pretty cool experience for you. Absolutely, yeah. That I mean, the Mavs won, and I think Jordan played okay. He, if memory serves, he had 15 points. Um, hey, you know, made some shots. It was just cool seeing him out there. It's the only time I ever saw him play in person, and you know. Um, and the Mavs were good in the 0203 season. So, you know, it was a pretty easy win. Nothing too memorable about that game. But just seeing them out there was a, a really cool experience. And by that time, you know, I was 16 um, during that season. So uh, was, you know, really into the Mavs at that point, really into basketball. And, um, you know, between the ages of 11 and 16, I, I started watching more just like Jordan – documentaries and we had these like dvds of highlights that they that you could used to be able to buy so you know i i'd still become like more familiar with his career and was reading books on his career because there were a lot of jordan books coming out in the late 90s early 2000s so it, it was cool to see him play again at a time where i was much more familiar with him and really just able to like grasp how good he was and how dominant he was and um so th- that was fun uh um, just just seeing him just seeing him out there and he was still you know one of the best guards in the league you know he wasn't he, he, he wasn't really like dominating like he like he used to but he was still one of the top top tier guards in the league so it, it was cool just seeing him out there what was it like because uh, you're you kind of became basketball conscious somewhere in like the early to mid 90s around the around the beginning of Jason Kidd's career yep uh, so this was after like 94, 95 was the year Jordan came back like at the very end of that year. But the following season for the next three years uh, for their second three-peat, what was it like to be a Mavs fan at a time whenever you had like the greatest team ever just <laughs> stomping on everybody? I mean, did it feel like did it feel like you were kind of almost, I don't know, like watching 
like a different sport or something you know what i mean yes I, I, yeah and this is something i actually like think about still to this day <laughs> so um it just it it was funny because you know I've, and i've already mentioned this a couple times we didn't have cable so like any time that that the bulls were on tv it was like on nba on nbc it was awesome because it was always like as part of like a a sunday double or triple header and they were playing like the Knicks or the Lakers or the Sonics or the Pacers or something. So it was always just seeing these like huge clashes of these like NBA Titans. And, and then like, you know, I would catch like a Mavs game during the week on like K-Star 49 or whatever the channel was at the time. And it just looked like a minor league game compared to these things I would watch on the weekends. Um, it was, you know, like they had their rosters were, constant like a revolving door like in the 96 97 season the Mavs suited up 27 players um so it was just like we always had these there was always trades and or a new coach or you know and they were always losing and sometimes they were competitive but it was just like nothing resembling these like legendary things that you see all these like fancy NBA on NBC intros for and it, it was just, it was weird. Like it, it, it didn't, it felt like two different worlds. Like I understood that they were part of the same league. And I vividly remember thinking like, why can't we have something like that? <laughs> I remember thinking that. So uh, the Mavs had their share of exciting games, but you know, including this one, the one we've been talking about, but for the most part, they were losing and losing by a lot. And anything they tried to do trades new coaches it just it wasn't working so it was I was young you know 9 10 11 years old but I remember being frustrated with it and just wondering if the Mavs were ever gonna play in an NBA on NBC game because to me that was just like the pinnacle of watching like a, a basketball viewing experience yeah yeah for sure nationally televised games I mean I remember uh, you know, Mavs games were always on in my house. My, my family is a Mavs family, but uh, I remember watching game six of the finals in 98 and, and seeing the Bulls celebrate and being like, man, that looks so awesome. Yes. <laughs> you know, getting to be like, you have, you have Bob Costas calling the game. Like, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, now, y- you know, Jordan's last season was the year before Dirk's first season. And so pretty quickly – the Mavs went from cellar dweller to, you know, perennial playoff team. But, uh, yeah, you had to wait a really long time to make it. Basically, almost almost the entire duration of Jordan's career. I mean, the Mavs were very good up until, you know, 88, 89, into 1990. And then after that, you know, the, the drop-off happened right as Jordan's rise to prominence sort of occurred. Uh, and, and for the entire run of their six championships, they were just sort of in this basketball obscure. Uh, kind of purgatory not even purgatory worse than that the basement yeah, yeah and, they were. Uh, you know then they climbed out right as he retired so there's this weird like symmetry to it i don't know I, i'm sure michael jordan doesn't think about it because he doesn't even think dallas is a good basketball town but uh <laughs> but yeah that kind of kind of makes me mad that you told me that I, I wish that you wouldn't have told me that because now i kind of i feel like i have to hate michael jordan now uh, <laughs> i i had never heard that quote before but uh you know, like I said, you can um, find some interesting stuff on, on newspapers.com. I, I enjoy looking at that site. You just, you find kind of like hidden gems like that, which it's just, it's interesting. And, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, it's probably not 
the worst thing you said about a, a, a basketball city. So I'll, I'll take it, I guess. It's probably not even the worst thing you said about the Mavs. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, he's probably, he's yeah. probably said way worse. Yeah. But uh, all right. Well, this was fun, man. Uh, yeah. Is, is there anything else about that game or or just Jordan's career in general uh, um, that you want to you want to get off before we get out of here? No. Well, one thing, um, and I actually thought it was kind of nice because you hear um, this is going back to the Anstey episode. It's not necessarily about Jordan, but it's about that night. He said, you know, he had that little scuffle with Rodman. But he said, you know, that when Rodman was on the court, that was just like his persona. It was just like he was putting on a show and behind the scenes. And I've heard a lot of people say this. They said Rodman was very, you know, quiet, shy, polite. And I don't think Anstey mentioned any specifics, but he said one of the Mavs at the time of that game was having like a really tough family situation at home. And Rodman actually came into the Mavs locker room and checked on them and asked him how he was doing and seeing like just – letting him know he was, you know, he was thinking about him and stuff. So that's, you know, you don't hear things like that very often, especially about a guy like Rodman, but uh, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting to hear. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty cool, man. That is pretty cool. There, there are a lot of stories like that about guys that you might not expect. And so uh, just another reminder to never judge a book by his cover or his hair color or, you know, what he's doing in Las Vegas yeah, <laughs> or, or anything like that, which is totally wild. I, I can't believe that he let a camera crew follow him to Las Vegas. Like <laughs> that, that could never happen today ever. No, no. You'd have to burn the footage so fast, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, that was, that was one of my favorite parts of the documentary, honestly, watching him just tear it up. Yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. That was fun. Yeah. All right, man. Well, this was fun. It's always fun to go back, uh, take a stroll down memory lane and uh, look back on simpler times all the way back in 1998. Uh, the Last Dance is going to air on Sunday. Believe it or not, we're already to episode 7 and 8 of this thing. It's almost over. It's, it's almost by. the last dance of the last dance. <laughs> yeah. They yeah, should need so, to make another episode, an episode 11 just about this March 98 game. I'm still holding do. out hope. They, they can interview. They'll bring you on. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your title will be like, you know, Dallas resident or Dallas expert. You're, you're kind of, you're like the Obama of the oh, yeah. That's, that's a good compliment. Thank you. City of Chicago native. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's get out of here. Uh, he is Mike. I am Bobby. And uh, we will see you next week. The next Maps Plane. See you.